Well, good morning again, and thanks again for joining us here at Prairie View, whether you're here in the room or joining us online. Hopefully you can hear the rest of the service really well. Now, we are in week two of our Problematic Proverbs sermon series, evaluating some common sayings of cultural wisdom. Our first example was YOLO, short for you only live once. Now, Christians can agree that life is short. Likewise, it's true that we only get one chance at mortal existence. And it's right to suggest that because of that, we should strive to use our time well. But the way to make the best use of our one short life is not to live recklessly as if this life is all there is. It's to live with eternity in mind, knowing that our only hope in the face of God's righteous judgment against sin comes by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, this week we move on to our second problematic proverb. And this one is not just a passing pop culture fad the way YOLO was. This one has a much more impressive pedigree with deeper historic roots. Some believe that it originated with Greek storytellers. Some date it back to a man named Algernon Sidney from the 1600s. In 1736, Benjamin Franklin quoted a version of it in his Poor Richard's Almanac. And many Christians assume that this problematic proverb is actually a biblical proverb. But it isn't. Now, unfortunately, T-L-H-T-W-H-T doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well as YOLO. So instead, I'll say this week's problematic proverb in full. The Lord helps those who help themselves. So go ahead and open your Bibles to several different passages. We'll jump around a bit this morning, but you can follow along on the screen as well. But before we dig any deeper, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Sunday. Thank you for the privilege and the joy of worshiping you, not just on exciting Sundays when we have a baptism, but even on normal Sundays. I pray that you would watch over us as we worship you, that what we say and and what we do here in this room, in this place, or even scattered around living rooms throughout Fishers or Noblesville or or who knows where else. I pray our worship would be honoring to you today. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this church and the much broader church, the body of Christ. We love you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the Lord helps those who help themselves. This saying is usually quoted when advocating for good, old-fashioned American virtues. Things like hard work, a can-do spirit, and a sense of self-reliance. It's the idea that if you set your mind to something, pay your dues, keep your nose clean, and don't expect others to take care of you, then God will bless the work of your hands. Now, is that true or is it false? 
How might God's word challenge Christians to think twice about this piece of worldly wisdom? So like we did last week, let's start with some of the positives. Some of the ways this phrase might be helpful. First of all, you don't have to search the Bible for long to see examples of God rewarding people who obey him. I mean, it's the very basis of the Old Testament law. If the people of Israel would just do what God requires of them, they can expect God to take care of them. It's laid out in passages like Leviticus chapter 18, starting in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you lived, And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Okay. Do this, and you will live. Sounds pretty simple. We see it again in Deuteronomy chapter 28, starting in verse 1. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket, and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The passage continues. Do this, and you will live. Don't do this. And you will die. Seems pretty straightforward. We can even turn to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4. A biblical proverb. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The Lord helps those who help themselves. Right? So there is an undeniable presence of this idea in Scripture. If God's people do what God expects of them, what is right, what is good, and what is just, God will see that they have helped themselves and blessed them with his help on top of it. Likewise, Christians can affirm the idea that if you strive to live rightly in God's eyes, you may, and the word may is very important there, you may experience some degree of worldly success. God designed human beings and the world in which we live with order and purpose for the sake of our flourishing. Thus, it's not unreasonable to think that if you make efforts to live in unison with that order and with that purpose, then you will flourish too. A good illustration of this is sometimes referred to as the success sequence. For Americans, the success sequence goes something like this. First, get your education. 
Second, get a job. Third, get married. And fourth, have children. Researchers have found that only 3% who follow that sequence, that order, end up being poor. So that could line up with the common Christian teaching that God has designed childbearing for the covenant of marriage. And that ideally, one follows the other. It's not a perfect comparison, but there could be some wisdom there. And sure, it's not totally crazy to think that if you follow the rules God has laid down, then generally speaking, your life ought to go a bit more smoothly than it would if you didn't. We can all think of examples of those who regularly make poor decisions and shoot themselves in the foot, making their life and the lives of those around them far more difficult than they have to be. We look at those people and say, the Lord helps those who help themselves. Right? And finally, Christians can appreciate, to some degree, this saying's emphasis on human agency. Being created in his image, God has given men and women the capacity to make decisions. And while there is a lot in this world that is outside of our control, there's also a lot that we can control. So in that sense, we have agency. We have dignity. We are not purely victims of circumstance every hour of every day. Even if they're small, there are things we can control that have the power to make our lives better or worse. At its best, the saying, the Lord helps those who help themselves, can give us a healthy sense of ownership over our lives. It can give us an appropriate sense of self-responsibility. So this proverb, like YOLO from last week, is not all bad. Obedience to God is a good thing. Striving to live rightly in God's eyes really is the best way to go. And people created in God's image should have a healthy sense of self-responsibility. But, like YOLO before it, this proverb can also be highly problematic. So how does this proverb fall short. Well, first, the Lord helps those who help themselves has an overly simplistic view of God's blessings and rewards. This proverb operates under the assumption that those who live rightly can always expect, without fail, that God will reward them with material, worldly success for their actions. If you just do good things, if you just believe enough, if you just have the right attitude, then God will bless you. But here's the thing. In the Bible, that's not always the case. Take the example of Joseph from the book of Genesis. Joseph wasn't perfect. However, he also didn't deserve the raw deal that he got from his brothers. He was sold into slavery, falsely accused of rape, thrown into prison, and forgotten by the cellmate who he helped to get out. 
But the biblical story tells us more than once that the Lord was with Joseph through it all. Some may have looked at Joseph's circumstances and said, well, clearly that man did not take self-responsibility. Clearly that man did not make good decisions. Some would have blamed Joseph for the sufferings that he endured as if he brought them upon himself. But really it was God sovereignly directing those seemingly unlucky breaks for Joseph for his much larger purpose. Or consider the example of Job. Job was a truly righteous man. Blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Job did everything right. He really did help himself. And yet, when Job lost everything through no fault of his own, his friends assumed that he must have done something wrong. They assumed that Job must have failed, sinned, fallen short in some way to deserve this horrible fate. They could not fathom the possibility that someone who has helped himself so well, someone who's done everything right, would not be blessed and rewarded by God. They were wrong. And when Job was eventually vindicated by God, his friends had to repent of their words. Or consider the prophets who preached God's word. The apostles who preached the gospel. Those many figures in the pages of scripture who obeyed God's commands and suffered for it. Consider Jesus, the sinless son of God who ended up on a cross. Not exactly the pinnacle of worldly success. In short, there are numerous examples in the pages of Scripture of how this proverb can be highly problematic. The Bible does not allow us to assume that as long as we do everything right, God is then required to bless us with material rewards. It's not always how it works. And if we don't see this bit of cultural wisdom perfectly played out in the world of the Bible... We shouldn't expect to see it perfectly played out in the world in which we live. Our world is fallen. Satan is real. Sin is present. Injustice occurs. Persecution happens. We all know that life can be unfair. Thus, if we assume that any time someone suffers, it must be entirely their fault... We forget the biblical lessons we just mentioned. And we commit the same error as Job's misguided and hard-hearted friends. And that's the most practical problem with this proverb. But what about the more theological problems? Well, first, if taken too far, the Lord helps those who help themselves. Can undermine the gospel of God's grace. The most well-rounded definition of the biblical word grace is God's unmerited favor toward sinners. His unmerited favor toward sinners. 
God's grace means that the Lord helps those who can't help themselves. Consider Jesus' death, life. Who more often than not were the beneficiaries of the miracles Jesus performed? Who more often than not did he spend time with? Who more often than not were the ones who heard his teachings? Were they the ones who had it all figured out? The ones who could take care of themselves? The ones who didn't really need any help? No. They were the unimpressive, the worthless, the helpless in the eyes of the world. And consider Jesus' death. The cross is the ultimate reminder that none of us, in the eternal scheme of things, in the sinful predicament we're in, none of us can help ourselves. To be spared from God's righteous judgment, we need help from outside of ourselves. Hope that only God could graciously provide through his Son. If there's one New Testament author who is most taken in with the truth of God's grace, it's the Apostle Paul. Of the roughly 150 occurrences of the word grace in the New Testament, almost all of them flow from Paul's pen. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In 1 Timothy 1, as Paul looks back on his previous life as a blasphemous, insolent, ignorant, unbelieving persecutor of Christians. Paul declares himself to be the worst of sinners. The worst. But that then spurs Paul on to thank God for his grace. Paul was helpless, but the Lord helped him. If we take this phrase... The Lord helps those who help themselves too far. We may end up minimizing, forgetting, or taking for granted just how dependent we all are on God's grace. Now here's the second more theological problem with this proverb, closely related to the first one. When this saying undermines God's grace... It robs God of glory. In the eternal scheme of things, we have not helped ourselves at all. Remember what we read in Leviticus 18. Do this and you will live. Well, none of us has done this. We are no better than Adam and Eve before us. Or any other sinner around us. We didn't start the work of our salvation and then let God finish it. We didn't prove ourselves worthy of getting a foot in the door and then let God open it the rest of the way. We didn't contribute one or two ingredients and then leave it to God to finish baking the cake. We had nothing to offer. We had no leverage to bring to the table to make God inclined to help us. 
He has helped us completely, wholly, entirely out of his own goodness, his own generosity, his own grace. Paul paints this picture in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's a very creative way of referring to Satan in verse 2. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Again, do this and you will live. Well, none of us did this. That's the problem. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God did this. God saved you. God saved me. God saved Sam Holder. He has helped those who couldn't help themselves. Thus, we do not boast. We claim no glory, no credit, no achievement for ourselves. We give it all to God. Christians are beneficiaries of God's grace. His unmerited favor for sinners through Jesus Christ. But even more broadly, the whole world exists. The whole world is sustained by God's grace. This fallen world is not as bad as it could be, thanks to God's grace. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, if you have food in your belly, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, air in your lungs, or blood pumping through your heart, you are a beneficiary of God's grace. You may think you are a self-made man or a self-made woman. And in the world's eyes, maybe you are. Maybe you really are a success story. Maybe you really did pull yourself out of the gutter by your own bootstraps. Worked hard. Arrived at your station in life through blood, sweat, tears, and grit. But even you would not be where you are if not for God's grace. If you were born in a different time, a different place, a different set of circumstances, all things that none of us can take any credit for, then we might not be who we are. We might not be where we are. So thank God for his grace. Ezekiel chapter 16 contains a graphic and moving parable about God's grace for his people. It compares Israel to a newborn baby 
abandoned in a field. This stunning image of helplessness and weakness and vulnerability. But when God passed by, even though Israel had nothing to offer, he adopted them as his own. And even after they took God's kindness for granted and brought his judgment on themselves as a result, God still promised to redeem them. It's a shocking passage about God's grace. But that's not just Israel's story. It's every believer's story. We were unable to help ourselves, but have been graciously helped by God. So can the phrase, the Lord helps those who help themselves, still be useful? Is there any truth to it? Does it have any redeeming qualities and positive contributions for wise living? In some practical ways, yeah, it does. But it's also problematic. Because in the eternal scheme of things, we are saved by God's grace. And we do not worship him for helping those who helped themselves. We worship him for helping us when we could not help ourselves through his son, Jesus Christ. By grace, we have been saved. So there is no room for boasting. May we remember that at all times. And may we remember it before we throw out that proverb sometime down the road. May we remember how God has helped us when we could not help ourselves. Let's pray. Father, thank you for helping us. There are some good lessons that we can take from this cultural phrase that gets tossed around a lot that that Benjamin Franklin thought was helpful and useful. But ultimately, we as Christians remember that we are saved by your grace and that you deserve all the glory and all the credit for who we are and where we are. Yes, we're responsible for ourselves and Yes, we should take ownership over our decisions. And and yes, we should strive to live obediently and and rightly in your eyes. Not just for our flourishing, but for your glory. But while all those things are true, ultimately we always remember that left to ourselves, we fall short. Left to ourselves, we are helpless. Left to ourselves, we deserve judgment. And so, Lord, thank you for helping us by your grace. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins so that all who believe in him might be saved. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, for adopting us as your children. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to live as your children moving forward, living righteously, living obediently, making good decisions, but always, always, always remembering that we were the worst of sinners and that you have helped us. And that we give you glory for that. We love you. We worship you. We thank you for Jesus. We ask this all in his name. Amen.